Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Hey everybody, my guest today on In a Mississippi Minute. Well, this pretty much epitomizes everything that she is. Just tough and cool. It was year one of the Mighty Mississippi Music Festival. I'd called her to come help be one of my inaugural headliners and jam with me when my band as nightfall came so did the winds and then the rains and oh baby was it raining we were watching cedric burnside playing as it started falling even heavier and it looked like smoke was billowing off his drumsticks i mean it was mad but at the same time looked pretty cool i looked at her and said we gonna go and she said you know it so we got on stage and in spite of it all and we were deep into the set and all of a sudden, it really got bad. I mean, it wasn't thunder we were hearing. It was the lightning. You could, you could literally hear it. I looked down at my boots. I couldn't see the tops of them. The rain was coming down that hard. And we were on a flat stage, so there was nothing to hold the water in. And we were halfway through one of her many hits. And production was trying to get us off the stage for safety reasons. And all she did was look at me and wink and so gracefully went into another course of strawberry wine unfazed then and still to this day please welcome hit singer songwriter recording artist and producer and shut up steve welcome dina carter hello dina (laughs) i'm tired after that hey hey buddy what's going on i gotta take a nap after that one my gosh oh look i remember that so well (laughs) and i remember saying what a way to go yeah no no it's our time (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you, you're a lot like me in that regard. I've played in some thunderstorms before. I played in a tornado in Akron, Ohio, when it rolled in. It blew up all the yeah. equipment, and I kept going. And I don't know what it is about being on stage sometimes where you feel like that you're almighty. But uh, uh, I love digging into your growing up years. The genetic pool was strong in your family. Your dad, Fred Carter Jr., was uh, a historic guitar player. Um, yeah, growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, as part of Music Row, you know, being in the thick of it, not realizing it as a kid, you don't ever appreciate things like you do when you get older, obviously. But it was a, I mean, we were in the thick of it. He was in the studio doing 10, 2, 6, and 10, right. you know, sessions around the clock back then. Every, and back then, you know, that's when they were doing vinyl and, tape and all that and they i mean overdubs meant you had three guys in the hallway waiting to get a shot 
at doing a pass. They didn't do edits and things right. like that. So, um, and and back then you also had everybody covering each other's records. So if somebody had a number one on a pop or an R and B station or something, then they would come run in the studio at midnight and cut it, you know, so that you could do it on the different radio station by different artists, and they would compete like a racetrack on right. the charts back then. So he was just, you remember how great the music business used to be. It was such a healthy competition. Everybody was welcome. There was room for everybody. And the genres were like, you'd hear everybody on uh, the same station. It wasn't so segregated back right. then. Um, so yeah, growing up as a part of that. You did dedicate a record to your dad. So people that don't know, we're talking Simon and Garfunkel's The Boxer. We're talking Roy mm. Orbison. We're talking Bob Dylan, Lay Lady Lay. I mean, we're talking Conway Twitty, the band, Levon Helm. It never ends. I mean, when I met your dad that we were doing a Christmas tour thing together for GAC, and when we were up and awake during this thing before we got on stage, when we would go yeah. to this thing, I remember meeting him and going like, man, I just, I don't think I can, you know, that's, that, was, that was such a cool moment for me. And Aww. he was such a good guy. And he was so, uh, made you feel so good about, you know, just about what we were doing and and he could tell that we were it was it was a, a tough gig because we'd wait all day and we'd go play a song or two and then we'd you know it was a tough one because you couldn't get any momentum um mm-hmm. but i just remember just going just being knocked out not only by him but by your mom uh with such grace uh the that apple doesn't fall too far from the tree when we're talking about you and your mom y'all remind me so much of each other and and <laughs> uh, as you get older you get more beautiful and i love it and I love that. Uh, well, thank you so much. What year did you make the record? Because you took a bunch of songs that he was a part of, a big part of, and you re-recorded mm-hmm. them, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep, it was called The Chain, and I think we did that in early-ish 2000. Yeah, I did duets. I did duet with Dolly Parton and Chris Christopherson and George Jones and Willie. Um, Unbelievable. Shooter Jennings did something with me, and Paul Simon put a guitar track on it with my dad, and I sang with Harper, um, his son, Paul Simon's son. Oh, Jesse Coulter. Yeah, uh, love it. I mean, yeah, it was just a very special record, and before, and everybody was so excited about doing that record with my dad and being in the studio. With him, and you know, it didn't see the light of day. Not a whole lot of people know about it. I appreciate you mentioning it, but we were—I'll never forget—we're sitting on the on the recording desk over there at I want to say it was um, Ray Stevens' place when we were recording George Jones, because I produced the record and I got to, you know, work with all these artists. And Dolly Parton—I thought I was going to faint when she asked me what I wanted her to sing. I was just like, <laughs> "Are you kidding?" Like. Just listening to her warm up, I could do a record on that alone. <laughs> um, but we were, Dad and I were sitting on the desk like little kids with our feet, our legs hanging out, you know, swinging back and forth. When George, we had our hands tucked under our knees, kind of hunched over, listening to George Jones do his vocal tracks. And my dad just looked at me and he goes, Now that's the stuff right there. Yeah, you know, and. <laughs> And I thought, man, I will never forget this moment. And what just, what precious treasured things, you know. If you think about all that history in a room, 
And you, mm-hmm. you're coming off these big hits. You're coming off winning a Grammy. You're coming off being mm-hmm. nominated for everything, right? I mean, you were on a crazy tear. It's funny. I mean, so was that record under uh, Capital or Patriot? or I know it was Herky Williams who signed you. It was. Okay, here's the interesting fact. So I had been doing um, songs with Jay Joyce in a band. Uh, it was very alternative, like very alt, kind of Fleetwood Mac country, you know, definitely southern but it wasn't country music per se and jay now you know he produces uh eric church and all these people i think doesn't he do gary allen Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of artists now jay's a big country producer now which when i got my country deal they were all freaking out like what you know but you just take any kind of music and put my voice on it and you can't help but put it in the country category so Herky had heard my works with Jay. We'd been in the studio doing these songs, and um, he took them to Bowen, and Bowen loved them, and and Willie heard them. And that's when Willie invited me to Farm Aid in, like, 94, and Bowen signed me. And that's why we did a record that is a little bit different from the Shave My Legs that you hear today because we had to re-edit it and all that stuff for the American release. But we released an album in Europe first and I went over there with my guitar and nobody and went on a tour had a British band went to a rehearsal hall I landed in London went to a rehearsal hall a guy named Ian picked me up tour manager <laughs> we go <laughs> to this rehearsal hall people I'd never met and here I'm like 24 years old came back home and we were going to release that record and then uh, Capital went through an executive you know, toss up, shift, and Bowen had was out, and the new and Scott Hendricks had come in, but there was a long time where nobody was running the label. It was kind of yeah, you know other people filling that. in. Oh my gosh! And so, anyway, Scott Hendricks came in, and he had seen what I'd done in England, and uh, decided to keep me on the label, and we recut. So we kept half of that first record exactly as it was. We just remixed and mastered and added. I think four or five new songs. That's the record that you hear today. So we're talking to Dina Carter. You are in a Mississippi Minute. We're going to keep talking a little bit more about how that all came about. And I remember uh, walking into uh, Patriot Records and a record guy named Herky Williams, who was a golfer, actually, pro golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, mm-hmm. That's how he got into the business. We're going to talk about that. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with the fabulous Dina Carter. Stand by. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Steve Azar on Facebook.com Steve Azar Live and listen to all my music, Steve Azar and Steve Azar and the King's Men, wherever you download or stream. Head to head. For every sport of every kind, tune in here where you will find. Head to head radio. Weekday afternoon, starting at 3, here on Super Talk Mississippi, and now on Amazon Alexa devices. Okay. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. He was working through college on my grandpa's farm. Hey everybody, we are back in a Mississippi Minute. I am with Grammy-winning 
cool, 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 cool girl, like a sister, Dina Carter. She is in L.A. in her home, and uh, I am in the Mississippi Delta where she has been many times. And so talking about that record, so I went in with a buddy of mine, Jim Gallagher Jr., who was uh, at the time on fire as a professional golfer, Uh, President's Cup, uh, Ryder Cup. Uh, he won the tour championship, et cetera, et cetera. He had moved down and married a girl from Greenwood, Mississippi. He was from Brickyard, uh, Indiana. And he and I became friends. And he was in the meeting with me uh, with Herky Williams. And Herky played Strawberry Wine. And so he wow. goes, w- I go, well, what are you doing? And I remember Jim going, well, just put it out. Herky goes, we're not sure what to do with it. We, you know, we don't think it's country or we don't it da da and all that. And I remember Jim going, well, why don't you just put it out? <laughs> and I was going like, yeah. it was so great. I mean, I wasn't thinking, oh. but I did. But I personally, it's funny looking back because when when I had I don't have to be me on Monday on record people's desks. It sat there for a year uh, for two years. It was radio yeah. that started playing it and about yeah. 10 markets that made them jump. So and promotion staff there that loved it and and we got along so they were fighting for me. Otherwise, the label guys probably wouldn't have ever gotten it because they're sort of we were sort of forcing their hand a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. And and with yeah. you, I remember I was driving and I was going to get some pizza off of Granny White Pike. I can't remember the place. And it's the first time I heard Strawberry Wine on the radio and it sounded like it belonged. Looking back, I know why because it was just honest. And you could have played uh-huh. it on any radio station in the world in any format, and it would have worked because, Dina, it's the truth. You sort of transcend genre. You don't just sort of. You do. And the reason Dolly and George Jones and and Chris Christopherson, all these artists, came aboard was not because of just your dad. They wouldn't have done it. I, it was because they respected you as an artist, and you already had this great success on your terms. And I love hearing the story of you going to Europe, and some guy named Ian breaks out, and, and I love that, and he's your tour manager, and you're going by yourself, which to me is who you are. And in our business, you got to be that. So what was the struggle uh, time frame-wise when you knew you had strawberry wine cut did I lay, did I shave my legs for this? Was that already written, or was that a late write um, and a late record you made? What was the sort of the sort of the chain of command on how that all went down? No, we had like I said, we had a, a record in the can before Strawberry Wine came, you know. And uh, when the label and I'd co-written all those songs on that European version of the record, because here we go, my daddy was, you know, like. You need to write your own songs. Publishing where is where it's at. Like I grew up in the business, so I knew that being a songwriter was really important, credibility-wise. Like it was, it could be as important, if not more important, than being an artist. To be honest, we were raised in that, as you know. Yeah. You know, writing the songs. You know, the artists and the way they deliver those songs is key but writing that song was always a feather in my dad's cap like that was something he would say if you can write a song and play it yourself like write it and perform it and produce it because you're going to know what you want don't let other people like put their stamp on you you know well there's no grapevine there's no grapevine right i mean you know what i mean it's it's coming straight from your soul and out of your mouth that's right. And he said, if you can do that anywhere in the world, it's a universal language. 
connecting with people. And you don't have to speak the language. You could be in Bosnia and sing a song that resonates with people, and you'll be able to feed your family. You need to work on being yourself. Like, stand out. Don't try to be like anybody else. Just work on your craft and hone in and, you know, all that stuff. And so we had a whole record in the can that I had co-produced, co-written, and went to Europe and promoted and toured and came home and was expecting to release that record, we wouldn't have had strawberry wine if we had done that. So God works it all out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, He's got a big plan. And in the up, that was a five-year process in getting signed and waiting for my record to come out in America after I'd already toured and everything else. So the thought of going in to re-record start this whole process again i was like so discouraged you know yeah no new people and and all that and so i said well the only way i will agree to do outside material is if i pick the song if i find the music and it has to be my life and if it's not something that i live then i'm not singing it you know and right and i found there's everybody tells it a different way but the truth is i found strawberry wine and we danced anyway and I took those two songs in to Capitol together and wow. was like, these are the two I am not relenting on. Because Before We Ever Heard Goodbye was a song I'd written with Chuck Jones. And that was like the one bookend. And Strawberry Wine completed that that story, yes. you know, about my high school boyfriend, first love, all that stuff. And I was so excited about that. And the other song I brought in was a song called um, That's How You Know It's Love that Stephanie Smith wrote. And I heard her sing that at the Third Coast. Remember that play? Oh, the Third Coast. Oh, my gosh. It became the boundary. Yeah. It became the boundary, right? Yes. <laughs> and she got up at a writer's night. and Like, there's 10 people in the room. And she sang That's How You Know It's Love. And this had to have been 90, 1991. Mm-hmm. And I told her, if I ever get a record deal, I'm going to record that song. And I made right on my word and i went back to emi and i pulled that song out and put it on that record like i promised and how long did that how long was that later when you did that like six years so six years i love it because now i'm wondering if stephanie even had she was a great singer songwriter for everybody that doesn't know stephanie smith mm. was on fire oh, yeah. for a long time probably still is but you know when i left town i sort of uh as they say, I turned my back on Nashville, and I said, I did not do that. I went home. That's all I did. I just went home. It's okay. And so, yeah. so but I remember Stephanie, an amazing songwriter. Okay, so six years, yep. some, of my, some of my mentors, they would talk about 10 years, songs, pitching it, pitching it. And when it finally finds mm-hmm. the right home and the right voice, oh. uh, it's amazing what happens. And that's a perfect example. And I love that you stayed true to uh, your word and that that song really – obviously impacted you enough to hold on to it through all of the other songs that were you were writing and that were coming at you that means that song really knocked you out and you've got to see the artist that wrote it do it i mean that's a that's a powerful thing and she and look that was i never talked to her about that other than i told her i said i promised you i was going to do this and i did and she you know i think that was one of her first cuts like on a major record Mm-hmm. Um, and she was my friend. I love, we, you know, slung those songwriters nights, like drudged those out together. There was a little group of us. That Nashville show does depict the community really well of, um, 
aspiring artists and writers that, you know, stick together or whatever. We had our little unit there in Nashville. It was a wonderful in the late 80s and early 90s scene that we had going on. Mm -hmm. She had come in from Memphis, and what a talent. I mean, so I just lift up my peers that are so talented, too, that, and I'm, I'm pretty frugal with who I really endorse because I have to believe in them. And boy, she, you're one of them. She's one of them. It's like, and she, her demos sound like Phil Spector records. Oh, oh by no, the way. they're incredible. <laughs> they're incredible oh. demos. You're exactly oh, right. Oh, my God. What a producer she is and that has become. Right. So, and she went on to have all these hits. Like, didn't she? Uh, do um, the Tim and Faith duet. It, it never ended. Did. I can't even. I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm going blank for some reason. But yes, yeah. all of that. I mean, and so you just sit there and rally for your buddy. So that was a big part of that. The spirit of that first record was pulling in the community. You know, um, sticking to my guns, being a little rebellious, and not getting mowed over by the corporate record label system and all that and i really think that that's what made it it wasn't easy but boy was it worth it we're talking to the great dina carter she is in la and uh la's fine (laughs) and the sun shines most of the time and the feeling is i love that song before we take a break i'm gonna let you play dj you know mississippi's the birthplace of american music we are and you know you know i know you were born in nashville i know you're in la and i know your family's from louisiana and i trust me i feel it but but we are the birthplace of American music, and we and we proclaim it and shout it out at the top of our lungs. So you get to play DJ. Do you want to hear into the break a little Conway Twitty or Jimmy Rogers? Ooh, mm-hmm. well, let's do Conway because Dad played with Conways. All right, we're gonna hear a little uh, Conway. Hey, do we remember some of the song? Oh, he played with him. He was on the road with him as well, right? Yep, he sure was. Is it Louisiana Woman, Mississippi Man? No, that it's, was. It's uh, the, uh, it, it is. It's a. Uh, it's a uh, uh, Mississippi Louisiana woman and a Mississippi man, right? Let's do that because my new man's from Mississippi. Oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> We are talking with the great Dina Carter. She's got a new man from Mississippi. She knows where to find him. We're going to be right back here in the Mississippi Minute. <laughs> hey, Louisiana woman. Mississippi man. We'll get together every time we can. The Mississippi River can't keep us apart. There's too much love in this Mississippi heart. Too much love in this Louisiana heart. See the alligator all the waiting nearby. Sooner or later they know I'm going to try. When she wave from the bank, don't you know I know it's a goodbye fishing line. See you while I go. With a Louisiana woman waiting on the other side, the Mississippi River don't look so wide. Louisiana woman, Mississippi man. Louisiana woman, Mississippi man. Get together every time we can. Mississippi, Mississippi, keep us up, keep us up. There's too much, much love in this Mississippi heart. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Azar and I'm with Dina Carter. You are inside a Mississippi Minute and we hope we got that song title right. I mean, I'm so bad with titles, I don't even know my own titles. And we're in the business for God's sake, so what's that tell you? <laughs> Okay, let's talk about let's talk about what it feels like to have a number one party because I didn't get to have a number two party and nobody was throwing music video number ones 
which I had a, a few of those, but I got yep. to two, and it was like the most depressing. Well, I mean, I was looking forward to the next record, so I was fine. But, and I was always looking ahead because, I, and I was always looking over my shoulder for some reason. If you get what I mean, um, mm-hmm. because I felt like I really was gonna have to, because it was so different, and I and I didn't feel like I belonged quite. It didn't fit. So I was a little bit of a piece of a puzzle that just didn't fit. And so, and you dealt with that yourself. But you did get to number one. Let's talk about the party with Dina Carter and tell me about what happened. How much money did they spend? Uh, what'd you do that <laughs> night? Who'd you celebrate with? Well, they had a party at this convent in Belt over there around Vandy. Do you remember that convent? I don't remember the name of it. It was like the village. Um, it was back there on the right, like behind the surplus store and Brown's Diner and all that. I was raised by a bunch and, of Irish nuns, but I, I can't tell. That's the only convent I ever went to. So. <laughs> and they had a number one party at this convent. And um, we, I mean, of all people, there were actually, I think, I'm trying to remember, there's one of the songwriter, a couple of songwriter girls that are super successful now were at this party. Um, Cindy Thompson was an artist on Capitol. Eventually, she was one of the models there. Um, there was a couple of successful songwriters that have had hits now that were hired to be models at this party and sit in a bathtub and act like they're shaving their legs. Hmm. Um, That's a party. All the, yeah, it was a platinum party. Um, and you went platinum as we well, had, probably around the same time the record went number one. Is that right? Yep, it was. It all kind of runs together because it was literally happening so fast and around the same time the little landmarks you know and so that was the platinum party you know um, you got billed for that party don't you you know you paid for that party. oh i know do you know they said <laughs> i'm going to tell you a little trivia because everybody thinks that artists are so wealthy and all that and yeah. look i am grateful that god has provided a roof over my head and food and clothes now for a teenager and getting through life for 20 years he's provided it through music i'm so grateful but they said I would have to sell like three million records or a million records or something right out of the gate to even recoup right. the money that they had spent, which meant times 10. That would be like $10 million, right? Yeah, yeah. You because were going to be behind 10. the eight ball. You still get those bills you owe, right? The, do you get the statements? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. I yeah, still get, I get the those. bills like from, you know, and people don't understand that side of the business that you actually have to make that money back. Right, so. so so let me explain real quick. So tell me if I'm <laughs> tell me if I'm right here. So we, we, we're 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 going to just tell you how it is. So if yeah. you would get close to getting back to even, which was almost impossible, they would mm-hmm. they could run a tab up on stuff, and uh, they could go, oh, we promoted your record. They could be promoting somebody else's record on the label, but they could still say it was you. And they're paying these guys as a salary anyway. So the bottom line is you're you're sort of always being billed for something. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it could be that they mentioned like half your name in a and they've gone to Kansas City. Uh, and yep. and next thing you know, you've been billed, you know, seven thousand dollars for a dinner. But but yep. you, they don't really show that. But that's is that the best way to explain? It really is. It's like a corporate account, you know, yeah. that you have if you sell insurance or <laughs> some other prop pharmaceuticals or if you're in the corporate world, you have that card and everything you do gets charged on that card, but you have to attach an account to it. And if you have, let's say, somebody's 
talking about Trace Atkins, like a Trace Atkins meeting, well, they could just mention the Dina Carter record. I think they can double bill it. They say they don't, but I mean... (laughs) You know, I think I've paid for a lot of artists' stuff and vice versa. I'm sure there are quite a few artists back then that paid for me, too. So Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's the trickle-down effect. that is. <laughs> yep, and you have to pay back every penny. I remember having the biggest argument. My management would argue with the label so much about hair and makeup. Number one, you have to have that for TV. Like back when we were doing Leno and Letterman and all that stuff. Right. Good Morning America. Like, you know, even guys, you need them a stylist there to kind of take care of the band and make y'all look, you know, everybody's got to Yeah, I, I realized that about 10 years into my, really, my career, because I was styling myself, and then I realized, oh, that's kind of cool. They buy, they shop for you, and that I look better now than I did. So, yes, you're right. You're right. I was pretty stubborn with that. And, yeah, and so management would be like, no, you guys have to cover this, because she's showing up, and they would always want to bill me back for all the airfare, all the hair and makeup, all... And the record label, you know, people have to remember, they make like $10 a record, and we make like $1 a record. So all right. of that money that's being spent is coming out of my $1 bill. But we love as, to do it so much. they get to keep their $10. But we love it. We love it so much. And, we do. Yeah, I'm not complaining. I'm just <laughs> no, saying the I business know. model for it. People have to understand that artists carry around, they carry these labels, and but labels also provide... The opportunity and the broad of course yeah of course the, the opportunity for people i was going to say earlier too this is all we haven't even touched on the fact that your career my career this is all way before social media i mean i was touching on myspace a little bit i mean but you yeah. gotta realize it was like what is that you know and it was like this really yeah. bad design work and anyway the bottom line was you're right we we missed all of that and so we were really at the mercy of touring as much as we could and that's why we stayed gone i mean i was playing 200 mm-hmm. dates a year i was gone speaking of girls and and they were shaving their legs and and you're at your number one party let's talk about did i shave my legs for this right, where did that come from that was basically girl talk around the kitchen table with a roommate of mine back in the day when i was waiting tables and i mean that song goes all the way back i think to 91 and just chit chatting around the table and i had my guitar and uh writing a song you know i'm like golly this is this not the truth and I had been in a relationship with a guy that was older than me, ten years older than me, and I was Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what? I had like Yeah. Uh, he was like ten years older than me. I was not that far out of college. I think I was around twenty three or something when I met him and we I was ended up paying for everything on my poor little waitress salary, you know, I was not being appreciated and He's supposed to be already into it. I'm thinking he's a doctor already or something that we got like (laughs) a great income and he's driving a a nice BMW and he must, he (laughs) He must have fun guy, but it was, you know, I just, I had my heart broken in high school. And after that, I kind of, my, my picker was broken for who would be best for me. (laughs) So the guys weren't bad guys. They just either weren't serious about life yet or, you know, right. And so, it came from being frustrated about putting in all this effort and not being appreciated or care, you know, taken care of. And, and I, of course, with a sense of humor about it, cause we don't, uh, you know, 
you don't want to ever be my dad used to say oh let's get off of it let's stay light don't get heavy yeah. you know <laughs> and yeah. so we just wrote the truth and spoke the truth and, and then there you go now that was yep. was that the follow-up but second to strawberry wine or was it third or am I even? No, uh, that was fifth. Fifth. Oh, oh, I apologize. We didn't go five deep on my record. I label my label yeah. went up for sale. Fifth. Your song. Heck with oh, that yeah. song. I'm yeah. talking about. Did I shave my legs for this? So that was number five. <laughs> Which was part of like unheard of, to be honest. Yeah. I think yeah. The only the first artist to new artist to do that out of the gates again was Taylor Swift. Well, you have Taylor, but anybody... you can go back to uh, you can go back to Dwight Yoakam. You can probably go back to uh, Killing Time. Actually, Killing Time yep. with Clint Black would have had five or six songs right. that, that were like that. So you're not really you're not talking about a lot of records. I don't remember a lot of them. Garth Brooks, I'm sure, uh-huh. had uh, success like that because once he got into con- in the control seat, you know, it was song yeah. after song but after I mean, song. For a, yeah, first debut album and for yeah. a female. I don't think anybody hit that until Taylor Swift came along, which is crazy because that was a long time when you think about it. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because we did all, we like got to enjoy that community you talk about, Mm -hmm. the support system, the success, uh, just riding like buses up and down the highway every summer. I mean, everybody was on tour. There was room for everybody. And all of that was before social media. Like, we really dug the trenches. We really did together. And um, Well, there was only one way to do it. I mean, you had to go play. And you wanted to go play. And you were right. We were on this bill with, you know, six or seven great, eight great, a great lineup. And you'd you'd sort of gravitate toward the people that you, you know, that was a little bit more like you. And and, and it was was fantastic to see them again. And then see them again. You know, and then sometimes you yeah. wouldn't be on the bill, and you'd see them again down the line, and just the the bond yeah. became stronger, and the respect yeah. became stronger, and you'd watch each other perform, and it was just an yeah. amazing thing. We're with the great Dina Carter. You are in a Mississippi minute. We'll be right back. Easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. Here I am again, kicking dust in the canyon wind. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Made it up Mulholland Drive, hell-bent on getting high, high above the lights of town. You went to Keel and make me crazy. Everybody, this is Steve Azar. I got Dina Carter laughing, which is always uh, something that I try to do, even when we're on stage. And uh, also, we're in the final lap. We're in the final lap, Dina. You're going to survive this. Well, you know, we were just talking about being on the road. I don't know if you guys 
we would look so forward and to seeing everybody like we were saying and we'd pull over and have flying j parties or flying j swap like the truck stop where you hop on <laughs> yeah. each other's bus and go ride down the road you know and exactly cell phones we had to cb man it was like we, yeah we did I, I sound like a dinosaur but that's how we literally had community and we had fun and right that was our version of texting and tweeting and everything else was getting on the cb and having code for who was who and it was fun it was, it was so much it, fun. it was fun but we were living in a tube you know with wheels and know. and we yeah, was, sort of felt like the flintstones at some point <laughs> trying to use my feet to push let's jump to a great song you wrote uh you and tequila all right i love when we're on stage i love hearing the story so tell our listeners with the great dina carter and uh she's yes. gonna, i remember this song when it came out and i love being on stage with you when you play it oh thank you so much it well i wrote it in 2002 for a record i was doing on Arista called i'm just a girl i had left capital it was right after i moved to la doing film and tv music and stuff and um uh, so I had a new deal. It was only, what, five years after the first one, so it wasn't that far. Mm-hmm. I mean, the second record, which, by the way, everything's going to be all right, it sold a million copies, and we didn't even get a party or anything. Like, yeah. they just put the plaque in the closet, and they're like, well, if you want to come get it, come by and get it. <laughs> so I thought, well, I guess it's time to go somewhere else. You know? and, <laughs> That's and, when you know. <laughs> I know. I ended up on Arista, and <laughs> it was awesome with, to work um, with those guys. It was just such a great label, and we did this great record and um, did all the press and all this stuff, and you and Tequila. I wrote with Matresa Burr right. of Strawberry Wine, and I showed up at her house to write, and she answered the door, and she had been at a wake for Harlan Howard and had had tequila in on in his honor um this great songwriter that had passed away and she wasn't feeling too good and i and i said well you know i've got a heartache and you've got a headache so it sounds to me like perfect combo to write a song and and that's what we did we sat down and wrote that song and and it was on that record so if you go look up you and tequila by me you'll hear the version um that came out in 2003 on i'm just a girl it's kind of a Tracy Chapman approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah. an alternative approach. It's a Dina Carter approach is what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I was on the road with Kenny Chesney and Keith Urban. We were on tour that summer, okay. and that's where they heard the song, and they would come out and listen to it. Fast forward 10 years later, Matresa had uh, done a demo, a male version, and pitched it. And he cut it. You and tequila made me. I had no idea. Those are the best ones. The Those are the good ones. Oh, it was, it was crazy. And I kept getting this bill from Sony saying I owed money for a demo for you and tequila. And I'm like, I'd throw them away because yeah. I never billed <laughs> any, anybody for my demos. You know, I just would record them. I hated billing people back. And so I got this bill and I'm like, surely they're mistaken. And I finally called because they were going into collections or something. It was only like 200 bucks. And I yeah. finally said, what is the deal? And she said, um, Tim Crackle sang a demo of you and Tequila, and we have to get paid for this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. So I paid the bill, and then Kenny cut the song, and I'm like, 
There you go. Pay your bills because it pays off. Yeah, yeah. Tell them to add it to that tab that they've run up that for your whole career. We're with Dina Carter. We're going to talk. Are you working on a new record? Uh, uh, what's your plans? I know you're you're doing a lot of stuff and and you're busy. Yep. And you know I have to apologize. I've had tracks down like for a new record for a year and a half, and I'm cracking the whip this month, especially to get it finished. I've got to finish this record and get it done and get it out here hopefully by early summer that's on the front burner i'm wrapping up um some film i've been in a couple of movies as an actress having a role and also producing the soundtracks for these films and helping do that so i'm wrapping up one Mm -hmm. as we speak that'll be clearing the plate and i'll see you uh in in the gulf coast in october (laughs) for the ingles uh ship bash we're gonna tear it up there it's their 80th birthday they had charlie right. daniels the last time our buddy charlie they have been building ships i'm talking big big you know big ships uh they're yeah. for 80 years and we're gonna celebrate that together so we'll be on stage together and uh it'll be fun and so i can't yeah. wait to see you then but hopefully i'll see you before and uh blessings to you my sister and uh I thanks for spending uh 60 plus mississippi minutes <laughs> with me on uh on this <laughs> glorious day it is my honor and privilege to spend any time with you I can, my friend. I thank you for including me. All right. Go hug your baby boy and uh, blessings, and I'll talk to you later, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll hunt down your brother Jeff and tell him uh, I can't wait to see him as well because I always love seeing that guitar-playing son of a gun. I'm Steve Azar. Oh, good. We have been with the great Dina Carter. You have been in the Mississippi Minute. Later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.